Maccabi, welcome to the uh, Treatment Room Secrets podcast. Um, you did mention to me, sorry for throwing you under the bus here, that this is your first time um, in a podcast studio recording a podcast. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you here. And we have some interesting things to talk about. Um, I will start you off with only because I'm um, a um, a Florida fan um, okay. of the state um, because I lived there and I had a great time there and the weather's great. Um, you went to uh, SFU, South Florida University. I went to the University of South Florida. USF. USF. I got my letters mixed up. Yeah, there's a lot of them in Florida. So, yes, the University of South Florida. Are you, Flo- are you from Florida? No, I'm actually born in Maryland. Uh, lived in New York for a few years when I was a kid and then back to Maryland pretty much until the time I was 18 years old. And then you moved to Florida. And then I moved University. to Florida. Amazing. And um, in Florida, why, why, why USF? And you, that's in, is that in uh, Tampa? That is in Tampa, Florida. Uh, I went to USF basically because our parents were selling the home in Maryland and they were moving to Florida. And so I knew I wanted to be somewhere near my family, uh, but I wanted to be outside of the parental red zone. So that the, I could choose to visit them when I wanted, but they couldn't pop in on me. So that was like the perfect distance because they lived down in West Palm Beach at the time. So I was in Tampa and that just seemed like the natural place to go to school. So you had the Everglades separating you. So I had the Everglades separating us, which was a perfect division. <laughs> have you seen? Uh, have you ever seen alligators in Florida? All the time. Yeah, in, in, um, in the open space. In swimming pools. On golf courses. I'm jealous because I lived in uh, Florida for three years and I saw an alligator one time dead on the side of the highway, uh, which caused some traffic. But besides that, I I never saw one. I was super disappointed uh, because o- online, as you're describing, online all you see in Florida is alligators all over the place. Yeah, uh, which is pretty ridiculous and pretty scary. Um, For sure. So so USF, um, you get there as a student. Um, do you already have a connection to um, massage, massage therapy, sports no, massage? Not at all. At that time, I was going to school to study broadcast journalism. Very, which we kind of touched on a second ago yeah. before we started recording. Um, so tell me about that. So you, you're you're a student in college. You're studying broadcast journalism. So um, my my question here is: How did we end up becoming a massage therapist and a sports uh, massage therapist? Okay. So to be honest with you, that didn't happen until many years later. Uh, I studied broadcast journalism. I got my degree. I moved to Denver, Colorado, because I had always wanted to live there. And I thought, okay, that's where I would start my career as a journalist. And I could not find a job. And the jobs I could find were in little cities in the middle of nowhere. And having grown up in big cities my whole life outside Washington, D.C., outside New York City, the idea of small town living never really... um, came to me. I never really wanted appeal to me. So I stayed in the big city. I couldn't find a job. Eventually I had to find some work. I actually found a job as a temp doing, uh, working for a brokerage firm, which I did for seven years. I was a, I was a stockbroker for active traders for seven years. That eventually led me from Denver 
to Phoenix, back to Tampa, okay, where I worked at a branch office. And then about nine months after I took that position, I started to lose my voice regularly and I couldn't make any sound or speak. The first time it happened, I didn't really think about it. I just thought, okay, I lost my voice. But from being on the phone all the time? It wasn't even that to be. At first, that's what we thought it was, you yeah. know, sitting with clients and talking all day long. But I worked at a call center before that, and I was on the phone for eight hours a day, and that never happened. So it was kind of a big question mark as to what was going on with my health. As it turned out, uh, they sent me for a series of tests to specialists. And they determined that there was nothing physically wrong with me. They could not find a single thing wrong. So the doctor said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is I can't find anything wrong with you. The bad news is I can't find anything wrong with you. So I can't actually tell you what's going on. But in cases like this, what we find is that there is some kind of stress that's happening. And for whatever reason, it's manifesting itself in your throat and it's freezing your vocal cords. What was happening was the job was not really the job that I wanted to do. I fell into a good career. My parents encouraged me. Uh, I don't want to be stereotypical, but, you know, Jewish parents, when they hear their son is going to be a stockbroker, is one of those things like, oh, yes, that's that's the field I want you in. It's a blessing. Yeah. So, you know, I did it. But after seven years, I knew the job was changing and, you know, I knew it really wasn't for me. And that pressure that was building up and constantly going to work in a job where I knew this was not what my – um not just my goal, but where, where the dream was. I didn't feel that this was the thing that I was going to do for the rest of my life. So if I wanted to immediately give advice to people uh, about careers and so on, it's you should really follow the thing that you want to do. So, so, so those seven years, you obviously realized that it wasn't for you, but was there something else? No, at that time, there, there actually wasn't. What happened was on my birthday during that time of this stuff going on with my voice, I had a party. And during that party, I realized that I should be healing people with my hands. It just suddenly kind of came to me as an epiphany, to be completely honest with you. Uh, and I just went with it. So yeah, just like out of the blue or was this no, some context? I, someone got injured a few days before you helped someone recover from Someone something? at the party actually hurt themselves. Okay, and they had a problem up here in their neck, and I just did some work on it. I had never taken a class before, so it's not like I really knew what I was doing, but yet innately I did, and I managed to fix the the problem that they had, and they were in pretty serious pain when I when I found them. They'd fallen over and hit their shoulder and so on and so forth. So once I kind of innately figured that out, it started to occur to me that I think this is the thing that I want to at least investigate uh, doing for a career. So I started speaking to some friends who were in massage therapy or physio or so on. 
And I thought, okay, I mean, I was never super into sports. I liked sports. But I'm also a very ADHD brain kind of guy. I knew I didn't want to sit in a spa and do spa work for hours a day. It wasn't going to be challenging enough for me mentally. And I just thought that I would probably check out at some point. And that wasn't the goal. If I was going to change careers at that point, it was, I was 33, you know, I had to really focus my attention and figure out what it was that I was going to do. I realized sports was kind of the way to go for me. So after three more months of losing my voice and getting my voice and losing my voice, the last time I woke up and I kind of looked up at the ceiling like I was talking to God and I was like, okay, I get the message. And I went to the office that day and I typed up my two-week resignation and I went to uh, – I had a client actually in the brokerage firm who I saw was a massage therapist so I sent him a message and I asked him, what school did you go to? Do you recommend it? It was right there in Tampa. So I was like, okay, I don't have to move for school. Um, I've got friends here. Let's go ahead and give it a shot. So th during those three months, you kept working and you kept losing your voice and yeah. it kept coming back. Yeah. Um, and once you – when did the change come? I'm just wondering if it came when you sent that letter of resignation. Yeah. Or did it – yeah? It, it literally was like a switch. Wow. The minute I made the decision that that was it, I was going to resign my position. And it was a big deal. They moved me from another city. They relocated me. It was – and I was leaving before the relocation time. So it was a really, you know, it was a really big, as we say, balagan. It was a lot of chaos going on. Yeah, and your parents? I don't know if I could use the actual words my mother used, but when I told her that I was switching careers, her exact words were, have you lost your blank mind? Yeah. And I said, mom – this isn't a consultation. This is a notification. I love you, and I appreciate your advice, Yeah. but this is happening. Yeah. Okay? And once I said that, she was like, I know you well enough to know that once you make up your mind about something, that's it. You're going to go ahead and do it. So we support you in the decision to do that. So that was it. I was, I was kind of go. So obviously now you're an experienced um, therapist um, with a lot of uh, history and experience under your belt, so which we'll dive into. I'm just wondering because so in these initial stages of your profession change, when um, starting this massage therapy journey, um, is there anything you would have done different to begin with? knowing what you know now, because again, a lot of listeners maybe to this podcast um, are early on in their journey, or maybe individuals like yourself, you know, um, stockbrokers who are thinking about, or maybe also have that calling of wanting to heal people um, and solve people's problems through touch. So is there anything that uh, you can, uh, maybe a piece of advice or something just uh, thinking internally that you would have approached differently knowing what you know now? I mean, just generally speaking, I would say whatever your passion is, that is where you should try to focus your energy because when you're passionate about something, you have drive. And when you have drive, you really can pretty much accomplish uh, anything that you want. Um, because there's that engine behind Exactly. And if you don't have that, anytime you hit an obstacle, 
if if the motivation isn't there, you're just gonna, you know, you'll kind of wilt under that pressure. So regardless of what it is, if it's if it's reflexology or if it's acupuncture or if it's deep tissue massage or a sports massage or whatever it is, go after that. In regards to CEUs, I have a very specific recommendation for CEUs, and that is take CEUs that challenge you. Most of the people, when I first started my career, were taking the easiest CEUs. Like easy A's in college type thing. Yeah, because, you know, in your business, no one really cares what CEUs you took, uh, generally speaking, unless they're looking for a very specific technique. Um, so challenge yourself. When you go after CEUs, challenge yourself because, look, there's a lot of therapists out there. And the key, you know, there are a lot of great therapists who aren't good at business. And then there are people who aren't good at business who are really great therapists. Okay? So those that's, a, that's another thing that you will have to decide at some point in your career, do I want to work for myself or do I want to work for someone else? And that's a big challenge because working for yourself, you have to wear every single hat, the marketing hat and the accounting hat. And, you know, it's a lot. Not everybody is really cut out. And you're the product. Right. So not not everybody is cut out to be their own boss. You know, it's also, you know, you have to be brave because it's all you. The money is all you. If it doesn't happen, no one's bringing you a big bag of money. So if you're going to go into business for yourself, you really have to – again, I'm trying to watch my language. You've got to really have some – Cojones. Big ones. Yeah. Exactly. Really big ones, you yeah. know, and be brave. And um, But you also have to know when to take the chance and when to take the risk um, in terms of monetary. Maybe you start out working for someone else and you see if that's something that you want to do. I started that way. I learned immediately within three months that I couldn't work for somebody else. So very early on, you went on your own path? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so what was that like? The so, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Let me just go back a little bit because when I went to school, the, re the reason I chose that school was because two of the professors worked with pro sports teams. One worked with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and one worked with the New York Yankees. So when I went to the school just to look at the school to see if I was going to decide to go there, once I saw that, I knew I kind of wanted to go in the sports direction to begin with. So I had an opportunity that probably most people don't get, which is immediate access to people within the field that you want to enter before you're actually into it. That was a huge bonus for me. Yeah, and must have helped with the motivation as well to pursue that specific For part. sure. On the first day of school, both of these guys said, by the way, don't come to us looking for jobs because that's not why we're here. We're here to educate you. In my head, I said, okay, that's fine. I'll show you I know my stuff and you will come to me for a job. And to be honest... That's exactly what happened with both of my professors. Both of them came to me after I graduated and said, hey, I work with so-and-so. I would love it if you would work with me there. And so 
I kind of had an advantage in terms of getting into the sports field that maybe other people don't. Yeah. And is it just because you really what, poured your heart and soul into that, was it three months? It was a six-month course. Six it was a 600-hour uh, class. The 500 hours of the class was like a normal massage class. And then the 100 hours was a sports specialty class, which I I paid more for. But I didn't care because it wasn't just I was getting access to knowledge specific to sports massage. It was that I was getting access to these two professors who were working directly with sports teams. So that's the other thing I would say to people. When you see your opportunity, don't be afraid to be bold and go after it. That's really key. For those who maybe are not that certain of this, um, of the difference here, so what, what does make sports massage therapy unique from massage therapy? I mean, if we're talking about relaxation massage or Swedish massage as it's commonly known versus sports, it's very different. I mean, with sports, you're generally dealing with athletes and you have problems and you're trying to resolve a problem for them so that they can continue to participate in the sport that they they are in. With relaxation, it's just that. People are going to a spa or maybe to your own personal clinic and they just want to have a nice, relaxing experience, forget the stress of the day, um, and come out feeling rejuvenated and, and so on. Um, I think with sports massage, at least with my business, I always tailored it to athletes. So it was a very niche thing for me. And so I just focused on that. There are people who do lots of different types of modalities, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But I found myself to believe that I'd rather be a specialist in one area than a generalist in many. And I'm not um, knocking anybody who wants to be a generalist. Um, when you're in – when you own your own business at the beginning, you got to pay bills. And that means you may have to do some things that like you don't absolutely love but – you know, until your name becomes known within your community, you got to pay the bills. So sometimes you just got to do things you don't want to do. That includes some free work sometimes. Yeah, and you were so, and you were working with athletes, or you had the privilege of working with athletes from a very early stage. Exactly, it um, was a huge benefit for me because my first year of my business, I had already worked with the New York Yankees. I mean, within five months of graduating, I was already working with the Yankees. And within eight months, I was already working with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And let's be honest, I think no sports team, at least in America, I'm not going to talk about football teams because you have Real Madrid and Manchester United. That's my team. But the New York Yankees, no matter where you go in the world, you walk on the streets and you find New York Yankees hats on every Absolutely. On every street. So that kind of credential um, out of the gate certainly gave me uh, an advantage in terms of building my name and my reputation and my business. So you moved to New York? No, you? no. There was a rehabilitation center for the New York Yankees in Tampa, Florida. 
And many people also don't know this, but a lot of these uh, cold um, states, they send their teams to warmer climates like exactly. Arizona, Florida. So what happens is for spring training, which is normally from the middle of February until the beginning of April, it's too cold in a lot of these places. So half of the teams go to Arizona and half of the teams go to Florida. And then they have six weeks of like uh, playing other teams and just, you know, they're dwindling down the players to the 25 guys that they want to have on their team. Um, so that's how that happens. They already had a full-time therapist with the team. So there wasn't an opportunity for me to go to New York at that time. Because of that, uh, I stayed in Tampa. I had my own clinic. And then I went to the rehabilitation center to work with the Yankees on an as-needed basis. So when athletes uh, were injured, they would send them from New York down to Tampa and they would begin their rehabilitation there. There were times I was working on guys right out of surgery and there were times I was working on guys just with an injury that just wouldn't go away. So they brought them down for rehabilitation. What was the most common uh, type of injuries you faced? Obviously, baseball, my mind goes to elbows, shoulders. So elbow, shoulder is pitchers. Mm. And I would agree that that is primarily uh, the area that we are seeing injuries. Um, but, you know, catchers are having to squat all the time. So with those guys, you're dealing with low back, knees, um but again, these guys are also having to swing a bat and that kind of rotational stress on the spine, diving into bases, diving in the outfield, catching things. You really don't know what it is you're going to kind of find. And this is for me, this is the thing that excited me about sports massage was it you really did have to be like um, a Sherlock Holmes here. And figure out what happened and what is the muscle because you may have some overlapping muscles and you got to figure out which one is really the problem in. So this was the thing that I really liked. It really challenged my brain. Um, and like I said earlier, because of my ADHD nature, I like that constant kind of challenge. So for me, it was interesting The the pitchers, elbows, shoulders, but you get back, you get neck, you you get you get everything. You just never know what you're gonna find. Um, and are you a were you are you a baseball fan? I wasn't a baseball fan Did before you? joining the team. As I started to work with them, and I got to sit with them during games in the dugout. Sometimes you could re you really start to get a feel for this game. And Israelis always tell me, you know, um, it's so slow, da-da-da. And I have to say to them, you do realize that they're throwing a ball 160 kilometers an hour from 18 meters away. Yeah. The, you, there is a thought out there that I've heard um, by some very respected uh, sports journalists. And I listen to a bunch of sports podcasts, etc., that hitting a baseball in the MLB is the hardest thing to do in all sports. If you can imagine that you have to do what I'm about to say in a split second, okay? You're the you're the hitter. The pitcher's going to throw the ball. You have to look at his hand, see what the position of the pitcher's hand is on the ball. 
You need to look at the threads of the ball and see which way the ball is spinning. Then you have to decide if you think the ball is actually going to come into an area where you think you can hit it. Then you have to decide whether you're going to hit it. And then you actually have to swing the bat with a round bat and hit a round object and keep it in fair play in a split second. Yeah. That's crazy. Technically, it's like the bee. That's but that's that's the reason I entertain this argument out there because just trying to you know think about what you just described does sound bloody hard. It's it becomes they've they've been doing it for so long that it almost becomes an innate ability. Yeah. The other thing to remember is baseball is still a game of failure more than it is a game of success. If you have a batting average of three fifty. Let's just say 400, even though that would be, you know, you don't find that. Yeah. That's considered amazing. Yeah. So you're failing more than you're succeeding. And in a way, I'm going to lead that back to what we're actually talking about, which is business. Remember that in business. Don't let those failures that may happen as you're, as you either start your career or as you go in your career, you're inevitably going to find those challenges that happen. And remember that, you know, one failure doesn't mean complete failure. Okay? It just means you have to find another way to go about what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, and the analogy is that even the best baseball um, are failing more. At least 70% of the time. Yeah. Um, and then I guess also basketball, they say it's at least 50% of the best players yeah. make up to 50% of shots. Um, and if we're talking about my sport, soccer, football around the world, um, yeah, God knows what the numbers are because uh, it's very difficult to score goals and be accurate. Um, but- <laughs> I wish I saw more scoring in football. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it is very um, easy to... Um, uh, you know, underestimate baseball as a sport. But for me, playing in a Division One college team, uh, soccer, and being exposed to baseball players really for the first time in it, not just, you know, in uh, on, the, on the sports news or on TV, um, really seeing how much effort is put in behind the scenes, um, which, again, their training seems 50 times more intense than what it seems like when they're on the field pitch um, yeah, these guys, on a game these guys are just, they're lifting weights all the time yeah. okay this is they're beasts yeah they look i think the pitchers can get away with being a little bit uh thicker let's just put it that way the nice way um but the rest of these guys they're really fit they have to sprint from base to base to base if you're in the outfield on defense you have to sprint to one of these balls that's hit you know, way out in the outfield, it's a game of weight and sprint, weight and sprint. And that kind of, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Ballistic type of movement, injuries can happen. And they do happen. And they do happen they do. frequently. Yeah. Um, so what was your progression in your career with the Yankees from that rehab center in Florida? So basically... Uh, I started doing that on a part-time basis. Then the professor that I uh, was brought in with performed what we call a career-limiting maneuver. 
where he told the owner of the team that he didn't want to work with him anymore. That's all I'll say. He was excused from his position, and I basically took over his position at that time. Still working at the rehab facility, but on a more regular basis than I was previously. Yeah. Um, and pretty much I did that my entire career with the Yankees. I worked with other teams as well. I mean, as I said, I did work with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yep. um, that first year as well. Uh, but But that's basically where my progression was. There wasn't an opportunity for me to take on another position with them, a full-time position. It just – that never kind of worked out or opened for me. Um, after about 13 years with the Yankees, when I realized that wasn't – you know, it wasn't going to happen. And look, my success early on may have given me kind of um, – I don't know, an unreasonable expectation that perhaps I would be move right on to that next position. That's not always going to happen. I mean, again, we're talking about very limited numbers of jobs for therapists. It's a very... And sought-after jobs. Highly sought-after. And, you know, in the rehab center, seeing injured players, and every player gets injured at some point. Um, so you must have worked with some... Uh, serious superstars that are worth yeah. a lot of money so how does that feel you know having the responsibility so of, i'll tell you the first couple of years I, every I, minute that one of those players is out every game they miss is expensive there's two different i mean there's that and there's also the i had just started working i mean i was five months out of school when i was working on 150 million dollar athletes was there some imposter syndrome I was just terrified that I was going to do something to hurt these guys. I was like, whatever you do, don't hurt the guy. Don't, it's your first year, don't do, you know. So, yeah, there is some fear involved because, you know, you're dealing with uh, such big name guys yeah. that you're like, please don't let me, don't let me mess up. Don't let me mess up. Um, but I think this is where CEUs also can be beneficial and why I say to push yourself because – you want to have confidence, whether you're working with pro athletes or, or uh, a regular athlete or just doing relaxation massage. You want to be confident. You want to know your information. You want to present the best, you know, you want to present the best image of yourself to your patients. But yeah, for sure, there was there were some scary moments those first couple of years. I think anyone would be a little bit of starstruck when they first start that kind of um, profession because you're dealing with people who are just so in the stratosphere of of fame that most people just are not used to dealing with that. But within a couple – I never did anything inappropriate or anything. It was all internal dialogue. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it took me a couple years to kind of get to a point where I was like, okay, I believe in my skills now. I don't have to worry about it. Now just do the best work that you can do. The other thing I want to tell people, and I don't want to bum any therapists out, but, you know, the best person doesn't always get the job. Sometimes it's who you know. Sometimes it's because of skills. Sometimes they're looking for just a very specific thing. Again, I would tell people, don't let that deter you 
just keep going. If it's not going to happen with one team, you can always try another team. For me, the problem was once you worked with the Yankees, which is one of the best organizations in the world, it's kind of hard to go anywhere else. You know, it's like eating steak and then having to... Yeah, but because of the treatment and the facilities and... The quality of the care, whether, whether it's the most... Um, the most recent technology that they're using on their players or uh, just the, the quantity of money that they are dumping into these athletes. Yeah. And I'll take you to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay. Uh, the former world champions, right? Yeah. Yeah, Tom Brady. Um, are you a uh, Buccaneers fan? I'm a Buccaneers fan from the perspective that I lived in that city for 14 years, so you had to root for the home team. Fair enough, fair enough. But um, I'm a Broncos fan. If I if I have to put it out there, it's been some rough years for us. Yeah, which is uh, why it's nice to have Tampa on the back. But um, also based on your um, because you had a few years in yeah. Denver. Um, but were you a were you a fo- American football fan? Yeah. So unlike baseball, you Correct. hear you were actually a fan. You knew the players. Yeah. You knew the sport. Yeah. Um, so how was that? Because I, I, I can see that being more, you can be more starstruck when you're in that environment. Because if I was a sports massage therapist thrown into the Yankees, I would know 0% of the players. Um, if, you, uh, if, if you threw me into a you know, professional soccer team at Real Madrid, I'd probably be a bit starstruck. Yeah, I mean, look, some of these names with the Yankees are so big that it didn't matter whether you were a Yankees fan or not. You know, people knew Derek Jeter's name. Yeah. Even if you're even if you're not a baseball Fair fan. Fair enough. I, I do know Derek right? Jeter. Yeah, I'm just using one of the big, yeah. biggest names for a reason. Um, so, you know, it's uh, – as the hometown guy, yeah, I knew the players. And so, yeah, you're a little bit starstruck. I think I think as you start in the field, if you're dealing with anyone at that level, it's a very normal thing to experience. But it's also important to remember that you're a professional and you're there to do a job. You're not there to be a fan. You're there to be a therapist to fix their problems. So whenever I got too much in my own head about working with these top-tier athletes, I would always remind myself – I'm not here to be a fan. I'm here to be a therapist and to give them the best treatment that I could give. And at that time, you know, I was 20 years younger than I am now. I admit that I was probably a bit cocky and the belief that I could do things other people, you know, I'm going to show them. And that's where the hunger and the motivation uh, comes in and why it's so important Um to have that uh, in your chosen field because it will drive you, it will push you in ways that you you can't really anticipate. How is it working with the players then? Oh my gosh, the players, I mean, you're you're dealing with totally different bodies. Okay, we're talking about 300-pound beasts. Mammoths. I mean, these guys really... You don't realize how big they are until you're standing next to them. When you're looking on television, they all look about the same size. Unless you got one short guy, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, either he's really tiny or these guys are like giants. And then when you meet them in person, you're like, 
Oh, yeah, these guys are giants. So big, big guys, just big monster guys. But in terms of um, did, did they respect, appreciate um, the work that you and your colleagues were doing to really, you know, help them perform and be able to train every day? I think on some level this happens to a lot of athletes where they are so used to being um, treated as – I don't want to like a diva like that that level. Yeah. Some of them forget that we are still human beings and that although we're there to help them, you know, they sometimes kind of treated us a little uh yeah, which like again, their we- servants. It's it's a normal kind of thing for young guys who are coming into pro sports who hadn't you know, didn't have a dime to their name before and now we're making millions and millions of dollars. Um but most of the guys were very um, appreciative of the work that we were doing with them. Yeah, and then I guess when they get hurt, when they get injured, when they get pulled out because of an injury, that then that's a natural opportunity for them to appreciate because now they are in the hands of the therapists uh, who's responsible for putting them out there. Um, now, an extra layer of responsibility for a sports massage therapist working with athletes, and in that case, elite athletes, you're not only helping them, you know, uh, recover from pain or an injury, you also, you need them to be back at a level that they can perform at the highest possible level. Full power, full explosiveness, um, being able to make these ballistic movements and at the same time trust their bodies that they won't get re-injured. Um, and again, the money that sits behind this is the, is the real catalyst because it's, um, you know, it just amplifies that every, every, every mistake that you can make as a therapist sure. will cost the player money, it'll cost the team money, will hurt the, career, the player's career as well. Um, so where where did, did, did that come in at a certain point where you briefed about this specific, because it can be almost like an elephant in the room that maybe people do not want to discuss when, uh, when, when working with athletes. But were, was this discussed? Was it uh, briefed to you in you any way? You mean in terms of how quickly we had to get them back on the field? Uh, yes, as, as well, um, but also like how every single move you make on this athlete is super crucial, so be careful. I mean, that's always in the back of your – I think that's always in the back of your head. When you're working with athletes on this level, it's always in your head that, okay, I need to be careful what I'm doing. You know, because if you're if you're too aggressive, you could hurt someone. But then you have – on the other side of the coin, you have the pressure of getting him back as soon For as possible. For sure. So it's always this delicate balance. You know, and again, it comes back to your CEUs. This is where CEUs come in. If you are pushing yourself and challenging yourself, then when those moments arise, they will be less stressful for you. Makes sense. You know, that's the, the, the key is just expanding your knowledge base, exposing yourself to as much as you can within your chosen field. That's why I feel like being a specialist is a, is a better – is kind of a better choice. You can focus – you know, there's. it's impossible to be the master of all trades. And I think sometimes because we want to keep the business going, we open ourselves up to other things when it's really not in our 
in our purview. Yeah. You know, stick to what you know. If it's something you want to learn, learn that. Expose yourself to it. Keep working at it. Um, before we went on, I was talking to you about I have a certification in a technique that's called active release technique. One of the good things about this technique is that they require you to go every year. From a knowledge perspective, it's really good because you are really honing your skills. Obviously, the downside of that is the cost uh, perspective, because if the CEU is not in your location, you have to travel to that. You have to stay at a hotel that can get costly. And to maintain different CEUs have different requirements. This particular one was to get certified every year. So it can be cost prohibitive for some people, which is understandable. But I always encourage people to push themselves. If things cost a lot, sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes it's not. One of the things that is difficult is, as a new therapist, how do you know which CEU to take? How do you know which one is the real, the real worthwhile challenging CEU that you're going to really learn something on and you don't mind paying a lot of money for that, but you don't want to pay a lot of money and come away from a CEU and feel like, that was not at all worth um, what I thought. So I wish there was a better way for reviewing CEU courses so that people who want to take them can understand better what the value is that they're getting for that um, instead of just a, a PR release from the from the provider that this is a great technique and you should learn it, et cetera. Yeah. Um, is there a specific... Um modality or to avenue to a technique that um, you've always wanted to uh, learn about, which you haven't? Something that piques your interest? I, I would, what I would say is, had I known that I had wanted to go into this field at the time I went to college, I, put, I probably would have gone for athletic training. Hmm. But by the time I realized that, I was already 40 years old. Yeah. And, you know, going back to college and having to take classes prerequisites to get me to where I wanted to be, that really wasn't a possibility. Yeah. But over, so overall, are you um, did it fulfill that um, um, that that calling that you had of For creating sure. people working with with athletes? For sure. The one thing that I will I don't want to I'm not pumping the ART CEO. I just want to before yeah. I say that I'm. Not receiving any uh, benefit from speaking these words from anybody. ART is really an elevated treatment. And it put me on level with physiotherapists and chiropractors and someone in terms of knowledge, in terms of performing a technique that is... What I would say is much more elevated than anything I ever learned in any of my... Can you talk to me about the technique? Can you describe it? Uh, sure. It is basically a technique where the therapist applies attention. The patient actively moves the body part that you're treating and the muscle is basically being pulled under the tension that you're creating. So it breaks down adhesions. It can elongate the muscle. That kind of... No I had doctors tell me that my 
muscular anatomy far exceeded theirs. That was the thing I got from this class because I was taking it again every year. Different modules, there was a upper extremity, a lower extremity, and a spine. So each year I would do a different one. And each year it gave me the opportunity to keep improving my hands-on skills. And that's another big key point I want to say to therapists. Keep working on your hands-on skills. Don't rely too much on tools or although tools also have a place within therapy, but don't rely on it. Rely on your hands. Really rely on your hands when you can. Now, again, if you want to do this for a lifetime, you also have to protect your hands. And that means you also need to get therapy. And that's where tools do have a place within therapy. But I use tools as, um, I can't think of the word right now. I'm sorry. Like an addendum to what I use my hands for. So, If I feel like something's not going the way I want, I can grab a tool and maybe do some work on it and then go back to the handwork. So I don't rely on the tool work. Yeah. Um, Just back to the the ART specifically. So you've seen good results working with your athletes and your clients? In sometimes you do one treatment and it completely resolves an issue, which was kind of mind-blowing. Is there an element over here of um, the client, the patient, actively taking a role in the treatment? In terms of ART? Yeah, in terms of ART, because that's what you said, right? The, the, the Well, I mean, you're you're instructing them on what they need to do for that particular move. Yeah, but still consciously, they it's not like they're just laying there and letting the therapist Correct. do everything. They're no, actually they, participating, the whole, thinking about the muscle. Active, ther- active release therapy, ART. The active part is them. The active part is the patient. They are actively engaged. There are times you don't want them to be. Okay? Um, There are times where you take a technique and you suddenly discover something on your own that works and you can apply that that no one ever taught you. I mean, this is one of the things about thinking out of the box, keeping your mind open. Don't get trapped in the dogma of whatever you learn because sometimes in the real world, Things don't always work exactly the way they're working when you're when you're learning something. Um, and sometimes the patient will give you feedback about, oh, that's it, that's the spot. So having a patient who is mentally with you on this on this journey, as opposed to uh, like when you're doing regular massage, it's really important. But even when I'm doing regular massage therapy, I'm telling my patients, when to breathe, how to breathe, bigger, smaller, faster, slower. Think about relaxing the muscle. There, I engage my clients even when I'm doing um, straight massage work versus ART. Did you actively take uh, part in sports growing up in your teenage years? So, yeah, when I was in junior high, I kind of was – an uber jock and I was on the tennis team and the wrestling team and cross country running team. And I played American football. When I went into high school, I switched and I decided I wanted to be a gymnast. And so I started on the gymnastics team and I lettered on the gymnastics team. 
But that was pretty much it. There, I knew I wasn't going to be any kind of star or anything like that. But that's that's great. Um, so you dabbled in all these different sports yeah. growing up, which is awesome. Um, I wasn't expecting to hear uh, gymnastics. Um, yeah, I'm a big guy, so that's that was the problem with it. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, did you experience a bunch of injuries then, playing different sports, being a gymnast? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say a bunch of different injuries, but my gymnastics career ended because of an injury. I hyperextended my wrist. I was doing backhand springs. And the rips, the wrist just basically hyperextended all the way backwards. Oof. I didn't tear anything miraculously. I never really injured anything, but you can probably see it. You see that lump right there? Yeah. That's a cyst. From the constant pounding that your hands take on the on the pommel horse, on the vault, on the floor, I developed um, uh, a cyst in there, and that's what ended my gymnastics career. Do you think that um, playing these sports, experiencing some injuries or feeling some tension in the muscles and what the body is capable of helps you even today? For sure. I, I'm going to fast forward to a few years ago. Um, I don't know if I told you, I've done a couple Ironman races. You know, I saw a tattoo on the back of your leg. Yeah. I just I had a glimpse of it. I thought it was the Iron Man tattoo, but it I wasn't sure. It is sure. the Iron Man tattoo. So take me to the Iron Man. Okay, so... Now you're getting me excited. Well, I'm excited too. I, I, I didn't plan on talking about it because I didn't realize how it would... Uh, that you would talk about something that would kind of lead me into that. But as a therapist... When you're training for Ironman, something is hurting all the time. I mean, that's just the way it is. I knew as a therapist that I had to get treatment. Okay, now, not through sports injuries, but I have seven herniated discs in my back. I've had two knee surgeries. I knew that if I was going to attempt to do this sport, that I was going to need therapy. And I think as a therapist and as an athlete, I suddenly started to be able to understand what exactly I would need from other therapists. So it was a really interesting learning experience because now having done it, I have a lot of triathletes who come to me for treatment. I have a unique understanding of what their body is going through. Um, and I think also doing sports as a teenager, you're open to the, you start thinking about how they're using your body, how each athlete is using their body different, even within the same sport. So that knowledge of being an athlete and that knowledge of being a therapist really helped me in both, in both worlds. I knew how better to take care of my body as an athlete getting ready to do what is arguably the hardest one-day sporting event in the world versus a therapist who is helping people prepare for the hardest one-day event in the world. And for most of these people, it's a real dream to do this. You know, everybody, basically only two people, three people get rewarded for Iron Man. Everybody else is a loser, technically. But every single person isn't a loser. Because the minute you dare to stand on the 
starting line of an Ironman race, you've already kind of won. And then when you cross that finish line, there really is, I have experienced nothing like that moment before in my life. And when was this? This was July 7th of 2019 in Austria. Wow. Um, And that was your first? That was my second. My first one was in 2018 in Frankfurt, Germany. And that one resulted in heartbreak. I made it to 214 kilometers of 226. And I had to retire because I had cramps in my legs the entire part of the run. So I made it like 28 kilometers, 29 kilometers with cramping legs. And again, as a therapist, I was thinking, as yeah. this is happening to me, what can I do right now yeah. to try to help myself get through this? And for those maybe who haven't experienced um, really intense cramps, you get to a point where th- there is nothing you can no. besides... Uh, I would try to stretch my quad stop. and my hamstring would cramp. Yeah. Okay. And then I would try to stretch my cr- my hamstring and my quad would cramp. So there wasn't a way around. There it. So, was, so, but look, I, I, because I, um, I want to ask you now. So you, you know, I don't want, I don't mean to use this word in a negative way, but you failed the first one. What did you do different, or what did you decide to do different that helped you complete the so, second one? Excuse me, I just stepped on your yeah, foot yeah. without knowing it. Um, <laughs> really, it, it was a, it was a mineral issue, is what I finally figured out. It was that I wasn't taking enough sodium. It wasn't anything um, treatment that that I had to do. I got dehydrated and I was drinking all the right amounts of water and everything like that. You know, people, you and I could sweat the same amount and I could sweat out more minerals than you. Okay, so that's what it turned out to be. I needed to take more sodium. So I started taking more sodium tablets and I never cramped ever again. So speak to me about the distances of um, of an Ironman. So where, okay, where so it starts with the... The swim is the beginning and it's 3.8 kilometer swim, which I think is 2.1 miles for the, the Americans who may be listening to this. Uh, and then you do a 180 kilometer bike ride, which I believe is 108 miles somewhere in there. And then you run a marathon. Which so, is forty two point two or twenty six miles. So you completed the um, you completed the swimming. So I did this. You're talking about the first race. That yeah, I failed? The, yeah, the first one that you failed. Yeah. The, okay, so I, I want to come back. First of all, I am not offended by the word fail, and I'll tell you a story about that in a second. But basically, I did the swim. I'm a good swimmer. Most people are afraid of the swim. I never was. I did the cycle. I think I did the swim in an hour and 25 minutes. I got to the bike. The bike was not a problem, although, you know, it's funny. Whenever you tell this story, you suddenly are brought back to that moment. And you remember every direction I turned on the bike, the wind was always in my face. I don't know how that happened, even to this day. Anyway, so I did the bike ride in about seven and a half hours. And I was so excited that I was like, you know, tackling the plan exactly how it was supposed to be that when I got to run, I think I got so excited that I ran out of the gate a little too fast and my legs cramped from the beginning. So I walked and hoped that they would stop, but they just never stopped cramping. So how much of the marathon did you cover? 
29 kilometers with cramping legs. So what is that, about um, two-thirds, point point, maybe? Um, 29 of 42. Yeah. So wow. when you're that close, it really, it really was a heartbreak. You know, I won't lie. Yeah. That one was crushing. I went back to my hotel and I cried that night. That, that one was hard. And then you came back a year later. I left Germany and I got back to Israel and I was like, <laughs> again, I'm, I'm catching my language, making sure I don't curse. I have a bill to pay. Okay, that's how I felt about it. So I also had plantar fasciitis during that race, mm. but it didn't bother me. But I took six During the first one or the second one? During the first one. The first one, yeah. It didn't bother me though, so I just kept going. But after that race, I took six months off from running to get all kinds of treatment for my foot because I didn't, as a therapist, I know what the potential injury can be. Plantar fasciitis starts out as a soft tissue problem, but if you let that continue, it will eventually become a bone problem. Mm. That's where I feel- where the gide, where, where the tendon of the plantar fascia attaches on the bottom of your foot is onto your heel. Well, that pressure on that bone, if it stays too long, will get so intense that the bone will grow to a point. Will grow into like a spike, a spur, if and you will. Were you at that point or you were trying to avoid it? I was trying to avoid it at that point. After six months when nothing was working excuse me, I decided to get an x-ray. And when I got the x-ray, they saw that there was already a heel spur that had developed. At that point, it was decision time. I can't tell you I made the right decision necessarily. In terms of finishing the race, I made the right decision because spiritually finishing, accomplishing that goal was enormous. And I used to think it was uh, a load of hooey when people would tell you, oh, when you finish an Ironman race, it changes you. And I used to roll my eyes and be like, oh, my God, please, come on. But they're right. They actually are right. Having accomplished this thing at 52 years old with seven herniated discs, two knee surgeries, and a heel spur, when I say it out loud, it really – it was nothing short of a, like, miraculous effort. And, and I'm not saying it to pat myself on the back. If anybody else had told me this, I would say the same thing. But it did change me. You know, the the motto of Iron Man is anything is possible. I never thought – if you had talked to any of my friends and asked them, what do you think about Jeff doing an Iron Man? They would have laughed. But why? So what was your athletic life like between um, your gymnast days and the Ironman yeah, in I 2018? Did, I did some weightlifting and I did some sprint work on a treadmill. That's pretty much it. I wasn't a distance swimmer or cyclist or runner. I came to Israel and I started to work with a triathlon group and I went on a trip with them just providing therapy. And as I watched them, I was like man, you know, that, that kind of looks like fun. And I thought I would give it a shot. I didn't know if my body would be able to handle it. But because I'm a therapist, the one thing I did know was that I was going to need therapy along the way. 
and being a therapist and working at the level that I have, it gave me a lot more knowledge in terms of what I was going to need to do for myself as an athlete. What did it teach you about your body? Is is your body capable of more than you ever thought it so that, was? That is the big that is the big take takeaway. Mm. Whatever you think you're capable of, you're capable of about another, you know, thirty percent more than what you're I'm throwing a number, a percentage out there. I don't know what the number is. Yeah. But for me, for sure the lesson was I underestimated myself on a grand level. I never in a million years would have thought that I would have completed something like that. So, yeah, I think that is a lesson. We are capable of much more than we realize. Now, if I want to bring that full circle back to being a therapist, you're capable of much more than you believe. Don't be afraid to go after the things that you want to go after in life. If it's working with a sports team, go for it. But don't be afraid to put in the hard work and the sweat that's required to achieve your goal. Because any goal that's worth it requires that. Would you do another Ironman? To be honest, no. My body has made it perfectly clear to me. I've tried a few times. Mm. I still have the heel spur. Unless I have a surgery, that's not going away. I can't foresee running for 42 kilometers on that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about treating athletes from the perspective of maybe maintenance and injury prevention rather than being a Sherlock Holmes and finding the issue and fixing it. This remains probably one of the hardest um, challenges to overcome with almost any athlete. Getting them to understand, <clears throat> excuse me, the benefit of prevention. Yeah. You know, everybody, I think everybody knows the saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that's the truth. Okay? The number of times I've had to explain to people doing Ironman, you're participating in a pro-level sport at a level that is enormous. You have to take care of your body. Your body doesn't care about the excuses. It doesn't care that you have kids and it doesn't care that you have work and it doesn't care that you're tired. Okay, what your body knows is the load you're putting on and the load you're taking off. That's all your body knows. So if you're going to do this sport and do it without getting injured, then you need to take care of your body. You know, I tell them, what would it feel like if you injured yourself and you couldn't go to the race that you wanted? I'd be devastated. Well, then take care of your body. So it it remains the hardest part because people just in general are wait until something happens and then fix it kind of people. Yeah. I think also not just in sports, right? In life. No, people in, in general. Life, you don't want to sure. invest time in something where it's not a problem right now. That's true. Why do we have insurance? Because something that's not a problem right now could turn into a problem tomorrow. What do you think the biggest issue is with non-athletes? Um, the regular person who, you know, walks to work, uh, cycles to work. Uh, they, don't, they don't think of themselves as, as being active people. Mm. They don't think that they're doing enough to, to require it. 
And, you know, because I'm in sports, people think, oh, it's only athletes. No, life requires it. Life is stressful, okay? Our generation, my generation, because I'm older than you by, I think, 20 years, something like that. I'll be 57. I'll just put it that way. So You look great for 57. Thank you, man. I was not fishing for that, but thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I think when we think about our parents and what they never thought about exercising in their 50s or 60s or 70s, they were thankful to be done and be able to sit down and rest, okay? Our generation and your generation is learning we have to – this is the only body we have and we need to take care of it now unless we want to – end up being inactive and have all kinds of problems that are facing uh, 50, 60, and 70-year-olds, the overweight, the diabetes, the heart issues, the arthritis, all of this stuff comes into play. But we don't think about it when we're young. We don't think about the, the arthritis we could have when we're 30. But it's like a vehicle, a, a car with 150,000 miles on it. Even if you take great care of it, still has 150,000 miles on it. And the same is true with your body. You got one body. They haven't, I mean, yes, we have replacement parts yeah, that we can do, but for the most part, there's not. So you got one body. It's, it's your job to take care of it the best you can. The other part is just money. It's just a money issue. And, and in terms of going back to which way do you decide that your business is going to go are you going to be private or are you going to deal with insurance companies? You know, and there's a lot of, of man hours in dealing with insurance forms, following up on did you get the payment for that and so on. I chose to strictly be private. So everybody, you know, in their career will have to make a decision about which way they're going to go there. Um, but it was always helpful. It's all knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you continuously learn new things by tackling new issues with customers coming in, uh, clients, sure. patients coming in? For sure. I mean, I've also worked with different uh, sports that I never worked with before. Like I worked with the Paralympic Israeli rowing team and I went with them to their world championship in Austria. And... You know, how you work with the guy who can't see, even though his body is 100%, is different than how you're going to work on the girl who had a brain injury as a child and has a leg that won't function the way that it used to. So you're constantly uh, being challenged um, to push yourself. And I think it's also important to continue to expand your knowledge. Don't get stuck just in your in the box. You know, when I find new things, I go and I read. I research stuff. When I started dealing with the different injuries that some of these athletes were dealing with, I would go online and I would read. Expand your brain. Open up your brain. Keep learning. Injury prevention from a, again, just taking you back to that question no because... Problem. Again, everyone does get injured. If you push your body, you probably will face an injury. Um, is there is there any like pillars 
within that injury prevention um, um, maybe motto that you push with with your clients that, so you, they, that they must stick to because not doing that is almost a bit silly because you do want to prepare for that injury. You do want to prefer, prepare your body to not break down at the first time it's tested. There is a lot of debate about whether stretching is good for you or not. Okay, there really is. There are some people who say there are studies that say it's not – they can't prove that it does anything. Well, there are also studies that show that massage, they can't really prove what's happening, but we actually know that it works. In the real world, when you're dealing with athletes, <clears throat> at least with me, and again, it doesn't have to be with athletes, but in the real world, you see that stretching works. So for me, when I talk to my – Patients, whether they're an athlete or not, and I do have patients who are not athletes who just get word of me and because of the credentials that I have, they want to come see me because they want to go to someone who's knowledgeable. And I will tell them the same thing. Probably your three things that I, I would tell people everyone they should do, they should stretch regularly. They should use a massage ball on different parts of their bodies and use a foam roller. Now, there's a lot of debate about foam roller also because it pushes um, muscular structures together and they can stick together, which is true. But if you also have a therapist, then that therapist should be good enough to use their hands to separate those tissues. Okay, but if you do nothing to your body uh, in terms of maintenance, you're basically a ticking time bomb. Something is eventually going to happen. I mean, even if you're a mom, you got two kids, you're holding one in one arm, you're trying to do something else. The compensation of your body holding a child in one arm, the muscles of your back, you could easily strain a muscle in your back doing that. Or you bend over to grab another kid or, or something like that. So doing maintenance on a regular basis, even if you're not an athlete, will save you pain. I mean, that is the bottom line. Don't want to be in pain. Trying to avoid that. So little things that you do along the way can make a difference. Does it bother you that there's... Um you know, um, the, the the sect of the therapy world that maybe criticize massage because, again, certain things are very difficult to prove. Yeah, it does bother me. I have been to classes where um, one professional will talk about another profession in a demeaning way. I never liked it. I don't go to a class to get someone's opinion on what is a better profession or not. I'm there to learn. So when that comes up, I say to people, one modality is older than all the rest. And that's massage. Because some caveman kicked his toe against something and the first thing he did was grab his foot. That was the first massage that was ever done. There is some kind of innate ability inside of us before we ever learn anything about how to take care of our own bodies. Um, and I think it's unfortunate that we haven't been able to scientifically prove 
what's happening. But again, we have both the theoretical world and the real world. And my real world experience tells me that massage works. How can the massage therapists themselves uh, protect their bodies to be able to perform um, for as long as they can be? Because, you know, also in this real world, a lot of massage therapists have their own hand finger injuries just from spending so much time pressing and working. Um, so w what are some ways where, you know, young massage therapists, what are some things young massage therapists can do today to really prolong their career? It's the same thing as an athlete. Take care of your body. If your hands are your living, you should be getting regular treatment on your hands. But it's not just your hands. It's your legs. You're lunging. It's your back. You're bending. You're in unusual positions sometimes. You always try to maintain good um, ergonomic positions. But sometimes you don't have that ability. You know, if you're dealing with an athlete, sometimes you got to put a guy's leg on your shoulder and turn halfway around and try to do treatment that way. It's the same for the therapist as it is for the patient. I, I was almost about to say something in Hebrew to you, but, you know, the cobbler who has no shoes, right? I mean, take care of yourself the same way you would instruct your patients to take care of themselves. And have you seen these colleagues of yours or people that you are uh, in the profession that you know um, who literally had to either drop out or perform their profession in a different way because they're just incapable of doing it anymore? Yeah. So I'll tell you, me, I came up with a hand issue about uh, six to eight months ago. It's not actually resolved. It is a genetic problem called trigger finger. And what they have determined is it is a Northern European genetic issue. And so my fingers get stuck. As I'm talking, I'm showing you my finger. That index finger does not bend all the way anymore. It can be really painful. It has nothing to do with my job. It was a genetic issue. But I have it now. So now the question is, what can I do to myself to help my hands continue to work? Tool work, massage work, ice therapy. I mean, all of these things are critical. Uh, and because I'm not a young guy anymore, you know? I mean, I'm not old, but I'm not young anymore. Do you, and do you use tools? now that you've maybe Look, haven't for you, myself no on on clients because you don't have maybe the capability that you um, used to the, the only difference really is my grabbing ability okay that's the only thing that really uh is diminished is i can't grip as well uh as i used to but pretty much 95 percent of everything else i can do normally but i do use more elbow than i used to or forearm as is applicable for any uh, patient and the level of pressure that you can use and so on. And that's another thing. Don't just get stuck with using your hands. Think about using your forearm. Think about using your elbow. I mean, there, like I said before, there is a place for tools within a practice. I just don't like to rely solely upon those tools. And I just want to reiterate that the injury to my hands isn't a work-related injury. It's a genetic problem. So it's a little bit different. 
but you can still use uh, your knowledge in order to treat yourself. And you should. Any therapist should continue to be doing treatment for themselves along the way. I believe I read online somewhere in an article um, written about you and interviewing you um, that your relationship ended with the Yankees in a pretty sour way for reasons you can't really disclose. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, yes, that did happen. Um, I'm very limited in what I can say about that. But did it, um, did it, leave a bad taste in your mouth because you were there for a long time yeah it did leave a bad i'm challenging you here i see i see i'm challenging i'm pausing myself no that's fine that's fine no it's okay it's okay look um but just because there's is there an overestimation maybe of how glamorous working in the world of professional sports actually is i I will say this yes I have to pause because I have to think about how I have to answer this question. Please. In some ways, it is glamorous. You're getting to travel with them all over the country. You're At least with the Yankees, you're staying in five-star hotels all the time. You're hanging out with these multimillionaires. And in, in some uh, way, I think everybody who is not in that looks at that like, wow, you know. But there's also a quote that you should never meet your icons because they'll always disappoint you. And that's all I really can say about that. Um, I still tell people you should go after your dream. If your dream is to be in pro sports, you should go for it. If you get there and you decide it's not for you, don't be afraid to turn around and walk away because money isn't everything. You have to have your integrity and your just your moral self-belief. Those two professors that you were exposed to or teachers that you were exposed to in uh, Tampa when you just made your yeah. that switch in your life, um, are you still in contact with them? So the professor whose job I took over when he was released from the Yankees, no, we're not in touch anymore. That kind of created um, a negative uh, feeling from him. And there's really nothing I could do about that. I attempted to maintain that friendship, but it just it just wasn't possible for him. The other one, uh, that was just a natural evolution of our time together, and then it just kind of yeah. Because I'm just so wondering. So if so, may I, I was maybe hoping in a way that maybe one of them took this part in your life. But was there a mentor, or is there a mentor that helps you develop? I have, I mean, through the years of working with people, um, I have met different people in different professions of treatment that I will go to if I am stumped on a particular issue. I've met physios or chiros or orthopeds over the 21 years who have said to me, if you ever have a problem, you're more than welcome to contact me. And I've done that. I consult with people all the time. If I can't fix something, I have, my ego is not so big that I can't go to someone else and say, man, I can't figure this out. What have you experienced this? And what have you tried? Um, and I think that's another important thing to say to therapists, don't be afraid to go to other people and ask for more information. I think that's a cr- very crucial point. Yeah, right? We're not going to know everything. And people are going to have experiences that you haven't had. 
we can always continue to learn. So you should always continue to have people that you can reach out to and talk to um, about issues that, that maybe you can't figure out with your patients. I also believe um, – Can I pause you one yeah, second? Please. I just want to say one other thing about the Yankees. Yeah. If the sour thing hadn't happened with the Yankees, I probably never would have moved to Israel. So you never know what uh, good or bad news is. Exactly. Exactly. What I thought was bad then turned out to be the fulfillment of a 30-year dream. It had been my dream to live in Israel since I was 16 years old. If that ending hadn't happened, I might not have ne- ever taken the chance to do this. And to take that chance at 47 years old, to start over a whole new life in a whole new country with, without any family or friends there was an enormously ballsy move on my part, if I don't mind saying so myself. And it has been extremely worth it. So, you know, sometimes, you know, one door shuts and another door opens. Yeah, um, which is great. And I, I also think I um, I read that, um, we, may, we may be quoting you here, that um, you've learned later in life that it's almost better to be feared than respected. <laughs> That's a recent one. You must have, You must have seen that recently. Yeah, I actually... Is that a recent discovery? I think it is a recent discovery. Um, I think that's just... I think professionally also. I think at first when I got into this profession, you know, it was kind of kumbaya. And, you know, we're all... No, I'm bringing this up because I asked you about the, um, the athletes, whether they showed respect or not for your profession and what you do to help them. So... I thought that ties together maybe with this life lesson. I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't know how I would um, correlate it in in this particular way. This was just a personal belief. And it's not that I'm talking about fear in like a violence kind of way. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I did learn is I'm glad other therapists are, are kind of afraid of me. Did you? I want them to be afraid of me. I want them to kind of be like, okay, that guy, that he's the man. That's really, you know, that is a level of respect, but with that level of respect becomes a certain amount of fear as well. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it can be a healthy thing. Did you ever teach? I have never taught, actually. Uh, When I was a stockbroker, I was asked to do a couple classes teaching people. So I did that. But I've never been a a teacher uh, within massage therapy. One of the things I'm considering right now is because I've had many Israeli therapists say to me, man, if you ever do a class, I would love to, to come. And so I am thinking about probably doing more like a workshop hands-on workshop than a, an organized class. But I feel like I have a lot to offer at this stage in my life to those therapists who are starting out. Some of the lessons, not just in actual uh, hands-on work, but in being a businessman, because that's not something they really teach you in school. And I think that's a critical part of it because it opens up more opportunities for yourself than just working for someone else. And again, you have to be brave. You have to have no fear in order to do that. 
because it's all you. You rise or fall in that case on, as a self-employed person on your own. It's all you. Did your vocal cord issues ever resurface no. uh, since you made the transition? No, 21. I mean, I've lost my voice a couple times, but there were reasons for it. Okay? The other weekend I was out at, at the protests. Screaming too screaming much. Screaming yeah. too much. I couldn't talk for two days. That's understandable. But I've never had a psychosomatic uh, vocal cord injury since I left my previous career. So it seems like you made the uh, another yes. yeah the, the right de- the right <laughs> yeah. decision and another evidence of how you never know what good news or bad exactly. news exactly look is. it's life I don't want to sound too philosophical right but it is true yeah life is a journey man and you never really know where it's going to take you and I I just say to anybody whether it's we're talking about professionally or not be brave go out there take your chances you know life life. There's a lot to grab out there, and it can be yours if you're brave enough to go after it. Maccabi, um, it was great having you on the show. Thank uh, you so much. I, I appreciate it, and I'm sure um, really our listeners have a a ton to learn from you. So although also this is not a uh, an official teaching environment, I think there's a lot in your experience that can be super beneficial to just individuals who care about their body, who care about their loved ones' bodies, Um, and if they're pursuing a career in massage therapy, sports massage therapy, or any other modality, um, I think there's a lot to learn from you. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here.